Some passages in the Bible are so familiar that really nothing much needs to be said. They, they stand alone, in this case, as part of the lore of Christmas. Even if you only attended a few times as a kid going to church, or maybe you saw your grandkids, you probably know about those pageants. You know, the ones where kids put on a bathrobe and they're magi or they're shepherds. Or in this case, we need the couple, Mary and Joseph. As you know, she is great with child. She rides on that donkey as Joseph, and, and they arrive in Bethlehem, and he knocks just feverishly on the door. And then the biggest and baddest kid we can find, the one that's been held back three days, plays the role of the innkeeper, and he says, there's no room in the inn, as gruffly as he can. In some productions, he might have played it a little kinder and said, sorry, but let's face it, his line is, there's no room in the inn. Most of us know that story, and maybe a few of us even remember how there was this decree from the emperor that everybody should be registered, and so they went to Bethlehem because Joseph's family was from there. So some stories in the Bible, some passages are so familiar, hardly anything needs to be said, except that sometimes they're so familiar, we may, we may have never read it that closely in the first place. My good friend David May, who teaches New Testament at the seminary, years ago developed a Christmas quiz. He gave it to his students, he gave it in Bible studies in churches, and most of the time was kicked out for doing it because people's images of Christmas were all upset by the quiz. Now, I won't go into all of them, but I will give you two questions. The first one is, how did Mary and Joseph get to Bethlehem? Now, the quiz itself is multiple choice, so I'll just tell you right up front that the answer is, we don't know. The tradition of her on a donkey is just tradition. It's in children's books, it's in movies, but the Bible says nothing about her riding on a donkey. Second question, what exactly did the innkeeper say? Well, turns out there is no innkeeper. Did you notice that? There's nobody to play that role because there is no role. Luke, who tells it, says, and there was no room for them in the inn. There's not a person who gets to say, sorry, there's no room. It's just, we've always heard it that way. Now, I'm sorry if, if I'm making your nativity sets crumble, <laughs> right? But we need a closer reading. In fact, when you start with that very first line, Caesar Augustus issues a decree that the whole world should be registered. Even that line needs to be rethought. It's not really the whole world in Greek. The text actually says the whole empire. In other words, this is a political act. All of you who are subjects under the emperor, I need you to go to your hometowns to be registered. Now, if when you hear the word registered, you're thinking Target or Bed Bath & Beyond, think again. In the empire, registered is code for, I need you to be taxed. I need you to go to your homes because 
the emperor needs more money. It turns out that Augustus wanted to build his military and to increase his building projects. Josephus, a first century historian, he referred to the taxes and the debts associated with that as the sinews of the Roman Empire. That was what held it all together. The debts and the taxes. As for Mary and Joseph, when they do get to Bethlehem, most of us imagine her as nine months pregnant. That tradition comes from the King James, which says she is great with child, but the Greek just means she's pregnant. She, she could be halfway through her pregnancy for all we know. In fact, it says, and while she was there, the time came for her to give birth. So then the question is, well, if they've been there a while, where did they stay? Well, probably in an inn. But, but it says there's no room for them. Well, not exactly. There were actually two kinds of inns in the first century. The one we'll call Holiday Inn, because you know what an inn is, right? It's a hotel. And those were in larger towns and cities, but not Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, where you stayed would be in a guest room of someone's house. Kind of picture Airbnb, except the host family is there as well. You don't get the whole place, you get the room, and they're there. So it's likely that Joseph and Mary stayed in the guest room of his family. And when it came time for her to give birth, well, it says there was no place. No place in the end for that to happen. In other words, either it means there wasn't enough space for giving birth, or this is no place for giving birth. Come on, this is, this is way too public. And so it's likely, we don't know, that she gave birth in an animal barn, which really would have been a cave in the first century, not one of those wooden lean-tos. Now, about this point, I'm picturing your nativity set as just falling apart. I don't really mean to do that to your nativity set. I remember in seminary when you'd start doing close readings of the Christmas story, they'd say, well, I got to go home and take it apart now. But I think there's something here. More than just that a close reading is kind of interesting, you know, facts are facts, although that matters. I think the bigger thing is, here's what a close reading reveals. And it's really right there in front of us. The Christ child is in a feeding trough for animals because of the taxation policy of an emperor who needs to build on to his palace. Huh. But I think Luke's got something else going here. Remember I said there were these two kinds of inns, right? They're staying in a guest room. The other kind of inn, we'll call it the Holiday Inn, is actually later in his gospel. And it's maybe a story you know as well. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. This guy is walking down the road, and he sees in the ditch somebody who's been beaten and stripped and left for dead. And he has compassion. So he puts him on his donkey. There's your donkey. And he takes him to an inn, bandages his wounds, pours oil on him, takes care of him, and then gives the innkeeper money and says, look, here's a down payment. Whatever it takes, I'll pay the bill. In both chapter 2 with the story of Jesus' birth and in chapter 10 with the Samaritan, Luke uses the word in. It's a different Greek word, 
because of the two kinds. But I wonder if he's not trying to tie them together. When St. Augustine, the early church father, got around to interpreting that parable, he used what was called allegory. He found hidden meaning in every element of the story. He said the man in the ditch was Adam. He said the robbers were Satan. He said the donkey represented something and the oil and the bandages and all that stuff. He just made up all these things. Scholars totally dismiss that kind of reading. You can't make stuff up and say, well, this represents this and this. Yeah, that, a donkey's a donkey. But I think he got one thing right because he said the inn is the church. What if in telling these two inn stories, Luke is saying something about the church, that the church is to be a place of refuge and welcome for those who have no other place to go and who are needy and hungry and hurting and homeless. This is not the first time, nor was it the last, that an emperor issued a decree and people jumped up and did what had to be done. I wish it were. I just yesterday finished the latest volume in Thomas Cahill's series, The Hinges of History. Maybe you remember How the Irish Saved Civilization, some of those titles. This one is about the Renaissance and the Reformation called Heretics and Heroes. As a backstory, he tells the story of Christopher Columbus. That's another one of those familiar stories that, oh yeah, yeah, I know that one, but maybe we forget. We know the part about how he was supposed to find another place, and, but, but it was the way he and the others treated the indigenous peoples that is absolutely horrific. They assumed, because the Native Americans, as we call them, because they were practically naked, that they were somehow an uncivilized and inferior people. In the decades to come, other explorers would come and they would issue a decree. They would unroll it and issue a decree that unless you confess that the church is the ruler of the whole world, we shall have to make war on you. And they issued that decree in a language they didn't even understand. And that is the founding narrative of our country. It was only a couple hundred years after that that Congress passed what Jackson had wanted, the Indian Removal Act. <clears throat> and they got on that trail of tears and they marched into exile. This was not the last time that an emperor would issue a decree and people would be homeless. I read just this week that in San Francisco, there are people who because of a traffic ticket can end up in bankruptcy. The author cited that more than 60% of Americans cannot afford a sudden $500 expense that's unexpected. That would push them over the edge and that running a red light in San Francisco is just a little bit under $500. We celebrate the 300th anniversary of that hymn, Joy to the World. I love that little line, prepare him room. I don't know when you hear it, 
Maybe you picture you've got some eggnog and there's carolers at the door and there's snowflakes falling. Or maybe like when I was in college, it was this kind of prepared room in your heart for Jesus. But here's the way I think of it now. I think of prepare him room as an antidote to all the decrees of Caesars that result in homelessness and hunger and hurt. I don't know if you saw this story. It was a couple weeks ago. It's in my home state of Texas, so I'm picking on my home. But the governor had grown weary with the mayor of Austin who was not doing anything about the homelessness. And by doing something, he meant getting rid of them. They were camped out under Highway 290. They just had made a little camp. And so the governor issued a decree that they should be removed. And so they brought in the authorities. And the cameras were there. And they interviewed people. And some people said, it's about time they did something about this. And other people said, where are they supposed to go? How is this fixing anything? They'll just come back or go somewhere else. When I saw that story, it reminded me of a student we had at the seminary. Her name was Lorenza. She graduated her senior year. She won the preaching award, so everybody knew she had a bright future. She would be in a great church with a lofty pulpit. She would preach great sermons. I mean, she was really gifted and smart. Except Lorenza asked if she could serve and be homeless. Could she be on the street, homeless herself, and minister to the homeless? Now, she was Methodist, so she had to get permission. The, the bishop appoints ministers in that tradition and so she said that's where I want to be I want to be homeless and on the street well the, the bishop was really not too fond of this idea I mean he just kept thinking about her safety and honestly so did a lot of us and you know we, we are you sure you're going to be safe I mean what about and you know what she said she said and what about the safety of the homeless oh okay she told us all kinds of stories after that about things and people that happened on the street. And I remember one time asking her, Are you, can you help me understand why it is you're doing this? And she said, well, because Jesus wants me to. And after a few exchanges like that, <laughs> I just sat down and shut up. 